0: Welcome to What Do You Know About? My name is Ash, and I will be your tour guide through the lesser known stories of history. You can join us on your favorite podcast app or come have a conversation on our Instagram at WDKA Podcast. But first, hold on tight because we're about to go down a historical rabbit hole with today's episode.
1: Cool fact.
3: hello everybody i've got a super long episode well it's probably not super long but i've got an episode for you exclusively about theodosia burr senior and junior and and yeah that's it that's that's all the, the episode about it's just me this time it's just me telling stories i'm still so... here actually <laughs> <laughs> still here um uh, you're still here to react but yeah just theodosia burr oh my goodness so much more than I kind of anticipated. I knew that there was going to be one big story about Theodosia Jr., but like, there's so much about these women, and it was it was really it was good to research them. So, let's start with our fun fact because I did find a fun fact for this. So, our fun fact for this one is that Theodosia Senior, like Theodosia Burr as an Aaron Burr's wife, was born around 26 years after Anne Bonnie's mysterious disappearance. Oh. Yeah, like, it was, like, that, like, close in time. And I don't think they have any, like, connection whatsoever, but I just wanted to bring up Anne-Bonnie and I, like, contextualizing history by looking at how different stories line up on the timeline. So, yeah, I just thought that it was interesting that they're, like, so close.
0: Well, isn't there a bit of, like, a pirate tale to this anyways? So there is a bit Um, of a
3: connection. There is a bit of a connection, but I I mean, I don't think that there's a connection in that. I don't think Anne-Bonnie would have still been around and pirating around the time that the pirate tale comes in. So I don't think there's a connection there. Although, how fascinating would that be if I was wrong? But there's, like, no evidence for that because we have no idea what happened to her, so. But we will talk about pirate tales in this one, and I'm excited for that. But first, Ashley, what do you know about Theodosia Burr, older or younger? I just
0: know that they are in Songs in Hamilton.
3: (laughs) There's Theodosia Dear Theodosia, the lullaby is an absolutely gorgeous song, and I love it.
0: Yeah, and that Theodosia Sr. was cheating on her British husband
3: with Aaron Burr
0: because of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And then just that there's pirates because you've talked about the fact that there's pirates. (laughs) Because
3: I can't shut up about the pirates. (laughs)
0: Exactly, that's all I know.
3: (laughs) Yes, so pretty good good starting point. Hit some of the main topics. I'm going to go into detail on a bunch of this. So to start off, we're going to talk about Theodosia, the mother, Theodosia Barto Prevost, Prevost, we'll assume It's Prevost, who married Aaron Burr and became Theodosia Barto Burr, or Theodosia Prevost Burr. Like it, it bounces between. She's got like three last names. One of them is her maiden name. That's Bartow. Prevost is her uh, British husband's married name. And then Burr is obviously when she married Aaron Burr. So she's got multiple last names and it gets confusing at the sources, but you know, (laughs) so Theodosia, the daughter was named after Theodosia, the mother, obviously. So for simplicity's sake, we're just going to refer to them as Theodosia senior for the mother and Theodosia junior for the daughter. Makes sense. So full source disclaimer, while I did find some primary sources about Theodosia Sr., they didn't provide a lot of information about her life. Uh, most only reference her enough to mention that she married Aaron Burr and that she, she was married to the British general. <laughs> That's kind of it. Uh, one of them that I found was written by her, but it was an invitation to George Washington, which was just too short of a snapshot of her life to base much on. Uh The wiki for Theodosius Sr. was a little more helpful, helpful, but I usually do my best not to use as a main source, but rather a guide uh, as to what to dig into. But in this case, my only sources, uh, or the only sources that the wiki listed were books that I wasn't going to be able to get my hands on in time for this episode, and there weren't many reputable sources outside of that. So... I'm going to give a brief overview of Theodosia Sr. because I think it's interesting. But bear in mind, my source for this information is her Wikipedia page and only one other article from the St. Louis Mercantile Library. If you're interested in looking further into her, the books listed as sources on that article and the wiki are The Heartbreak of Aaron Burr by H.W. Brands, Fallen Founder, The Life of Aaron Burr, which I did find a couple quotes from uh, for Theodosia Jr. later uh, by Nancy Eisenberg. And Aaron Burr, The Years from Princeton to Vice President by Milton Lamasque. I was eventually able to access parts of Fallen Founder, but not the whole work. Uh, if anyone's in the area, the New York Public Library has a box of Aaron Burr letters and documents, including a letter from Theodosia Sr. However, those materials aren't available digitally. And unfortunately, I am not wealthy enough for a spontaneous flight to New York to read them in person.
0: If we were, so, then I'd be over New York constantly looking at constantly. documents. <laughs>
3: constantly so disclaimer out of the way here is theodosia's story as far as i can determine theodosia senior was born in 1746 only weeks after her father's death her mother raised her as a single mother for five years before remarrying a captain in the british army her stepfather made sure she was well educated and she was fluent in french later working as a translator in french political treaties hmm. yeah she had stepbrothers and sisters as well, and her stepfather passed away in 1762, only a year before Theodosia Senior married her first husband, Jacques or James Prevost, who is also a British Army officer.
0: I was gonna say like that and family sort- seems to like their British men.
3: Seriously, his name switches between French and uh, English versions in the sources as well, so if it's confusing, that's why. <laughs> Uh, she and her husband had five children together before Prevost was dispatched to the West Indies. So her stepfather, who was the only father that she knew, was a captain on the British side. Her husband was on the British side. So where do you think her politics lay on the issue of the revolution? Hmm, British? She was actually on the American side.
0: Okay, so she, she went was on with her Patriots. mother's side of the...
3: Yeah, she was on line. the Patriots' side. Well, I mean, I guess so because uh, so, she
0: was cheating with so yeah that probably makes right. more sense
3: so she's got all these people in her life like that are all on the british side her whole fan like her whole husband's side of the family is like all british officers and british soldiers and then she's just like mm, patriots <laughs> <laughs> so she was she was like a well educated woman especially for her time she was definitely making her own decisions and she was not just going to follow the opinions of the men in her life and i respect her for that So while her husband was gone, Theodosia Sr. starts offering her home as a meeting ground for revolutionary leaders. As I mentioned earlier, she wrote a letter to George Washington personally inviting him into her home when she found out that he was going to be in the area, uh, which he accepted and he used her home, uh, which was called the Hermitage, as his headquarters while he was there. Okay. She became known for her home's French culture, which was a result of her French tutoring as a child, as well as her intellect. Many notable people came to stay in her home that her husband likely would not appreciate. At one point, her house was apparently at risk of being confiscated because it was owned by her husband, who was a British officer. But the guests that she often had over were clearly beneficial to her because some of her powerful guests stepped in and prevented the case from going through. Okay, that's lucky so she for made, her. She was smart. She made friends in high places.
0: She reminds me a lot of, like, Angelica in a way. Where it's like, mm-hmm. hey, let me have, like, let me ha- like make sure that I get in touch with all these, like, high politician men, like, political men that <laughs> are going to mm-hmm. help me with getting, like, I don't know, my home to stay.
3: <laughs> exactly. Making sure that she doesn't get kicked out for being affiliated with the British. Yeah. So she got to keep her house because she made the right friends. One other notable story came from that period. So the story goes that Theodosia was hosting a number of guests, as she often did, and one of whom uh, was being a bit rude and had insulted her seemingly without being aware of it. She chose violence and, on the spot, wrote a poem insulting him and passed it around the room, which had everyone laughing.
0: That's one way of, like, passing notes along.
3: So apparently it was... um, i guess a french culture thing at the time one of my sources mentioned that it was like a game that like the intellectuals of france would play where they just like come up with poetry on the spot not usually mocking but in this case she chose violence and so she had everybody laughing at him through a poem that she wrote on this spot which is wild
0: so she's kind of like a roaster of the time
3: <laughs> yeah girl is a savage some historians theorize that this story is an anecdote From Aaron Burr as well so he may have been present for this and if it was him he was impressed by it uh but we'll get into that in a minute
0: but he kept telling Alexander to keep his mouth shut but his wife is okay to be like (laughs) roasting people through
3: poetry Aaron Burr's an interesting guy (laughs) but she had this like charisma about her that like she could do no wrong so she made friends for example uh with both the american military as well as the british and practiced espionage in the form of small talk retrieving secrets from the british and passing it on to the americans Hmm. like she was so charismatic that people would just like talk with her and believe her and she like made friends with everybody she had as many british officers swooning over her as she did american officers she had like all of these men like kind of saw her as like a damsel in distress waiting for her husband to return from the war uh, and she had them all right in the palm of her hand, keeping her home safe and a sanctuary in the war. It was like a no neutral ground, essentially. Um, and no matter what happened, like she was protected from either side. Like it was like she like like big brain energy. Like this girl was like <laughs> she was she smart, she was and
0: she like and like she knew how to take things to her advantage. Which I'm like, good on you, kid.
3: Yeah. Right. So whether she was a practi- uh, protecting her loyalist brother or actively aiding the rebellion, she was charismatic, she was clever, and she was maybe a little conniving, but girl knew damn well what she was doing the whole way through. Well,
0: that's a good thing.
3: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And it tells you a little bit of, like, where her daughter, Theodosia Jr., gets her wit from. So she met Aaron Burr in the late 1770s. They hit it off pretty quickly with Aaron falling for her shortly after meeting her, absolutely gushing about her to his sister in a letter, which I again, couldn't uh, track down, but I did find a letter from Theodosia to Aaron's sister in the process, which happened to be about a China set. So clearly they got along well. Mm -hmm. It was like, um, she had said that she, her sister had found, or she had found a China set or her sister had found a China set. And they were talking about passing it back and forth, essentially. And she was like, Saying things like, oh, we need to, like, get together soon, and I miss you, and I want to see you. So, like, clearly she got along with his family. Yeah. And he was very much not immune to her charms. Well, no. Because this guy, like, totally smitten by her. Uh, Unlike all the other officers falling all over her, she fell for him as well. And they were openly lovers by 1780. She was, interestingly enough, 10 years older than Aaron, which was uncommon uh, at the time. But her reputation as an intellectual woman didn't come from nowhere and a lot of their conversation centered around politics, going so far as to go from being general political talk to Aaron Burr realizing that she would be a phenomenal political ally for her understanding of British and American perspectives and ability to make friends with seemingly anyone without being deceived by who they presented themselves to be.
0: Like, good on her. Like, she made herself valuable, like, in general to both basically sides of the war effort.
3: She just, she was just extremely likable. Like, she just, she was very, like, socially intelligent. Yeah. And also intellectually and, like, politically, she knew her stuff as well, which helped her a lot in being socially intelligent with a bunch of political leaders. In 1781, remember I said in 1780, she and Burr were openly lovers. In 1781, she learned that her husband died from yellow fever. And Convenient. she married... Conveniently. Although he was literally in another country. Like he was like he was still dispatched. Like he was not home when he passed away. Um so when he left, she would not see him again. Uh so he passed away in seventeen eighty one and she had already kind of been openly in a relationship with Burr at that point, which is where the reference to like her cheating on her British officer with Aaron and Hamilton kinda comes in. Yeah. But that only went on for like a year and then he dies. And then she married Aaron seven months later in 1782. So clearly she was eager to move on. She like, yeah, had no, I'm guessing
0: there was no like waiting period as to like, here's how long you need to be in mourning
3: before you can remarry during this time. I don't know if socially there was, um, I didn't see anything in my sources saying that there was like an obligatory waiting period or anything. It just, yeah, just seven months later, like happened across over into the new year uh and they were married so she did not want to wait around so yeah um well it's good like i don't know
0: aaron burr would have happily been patiently waiting until he couldn't have his
3: chance (laughs) (laughs) so she encouraged aaron after they got married to continue studying law in order for him to maintain respect and independence and at the same time made it clear that she would be maintaining her own independence as well she didn't want either to be dependent on each other because she believed they would become resentful if they were dependent on each other and they would fall out of love. I kind of don't disagree. Uh, she refused to exist as a side note to his career and I madly respect her for that, especially at that time when that was so against the status quo. Yeah. But she's also kind of playing the game here because she knows that between the two of them, like she can be charming as and charismatic as much as she wants. She can't get like a political job or like a well-paying like job as a lawyer or anything so she has him working his way up the ladder to make the money to support her and her five children yeah so like it's again it's like it's like a smart move from like so many different angles so here's where uh Aaron adopted Theodosia's five children and the couple had their first child together later the same year after they got married who was Theodosia jr. They had a few others later, but unfortunately, Theodosia Jr. was the only one to survive to adulthood, which was much more common back then, but it's still tragic. Um, So Theodosia Sr. educated their daughter in the same way any wealthy boy would have been educated at the time, being a strong feminist herself, until her health started to to deteriorate. Why is that such a hard word? (laughs) Because it's a long one. True. Uh, And Erin had to take over more and more. Theodosius Sr. had been sick for a long time, though it's unclear how long. But in 1792, it became a regular pain, and two years later, she passed away theoretically from stomach or uterine cancer. Ooh, yeah. that does not sound like a fun no. way to go. Like, no. And without being able to diagnose it for what it was at the time, they just knew it was stomach pains. They didn't yeah. know what caused it, and they couldn't possibly have known how to treat it. So Aaron Burr is quoted as later saying that she was, quote, the best woman and finest lady I have ever known, end quote. And even praised her saying he hadn't seen much evidence for, quote, female intellectual powers, unquote, except in her uh, that it was knowledge of her mind that impressed him with respect for that of her sex. They had been married for 10 years, and he only remarried decades later in 1833. Yep makes
0: about sense for like knowing how he like how in depth he was about things
3: but all of that is sweet all of that is adorable i'm about to ruin it so before he remarried there was the life and death of his daughter theodosia jr and i would like to note here that she was not his only daughter even biologically at this point only possibly his favorite Besides his stepchildren, there were also two children that Burr fathered that he didn't openly acknowledge, and it's unknown if his first wife even knew about them, though they were born only a few years after Burr married Theodosia. Okay, so who else was he sleeping around with? So, the second of the two uh, being fathered while she was dying of cancer. No, Burr, no. Because no one in history can keep it in their pants. (laughs) Apparently not. So it sounds like this sweet adorable love story. He very is romantically invested in her while he was married to her. While she was dying, he was cheating on her with one of the servants in his household. Of course. Of course it would be like somebody from the freaking household. So um they were the yeah, so they're the children of one of his servants who was a black woman named Mary Emmons, also known as Eugenie, and those kids went on to do amazing things. Uh, there was Louise Sipper, again, briefly, as according to Wikipedia, who worked as a servant for some prominent people for a good portion of her life before marrying Francis Webb, who was a founding member of the Pennsylvania Augustine Education Society, secretary of the Haitian Immigration Society, and distributor of the Freedoms Journal, which was the first African-American-owned and operated newspaper in the States. Oh, so she had a cool life. So she had a cool life. She knew some cool people, and she put herself in positions to meet cool people. So that's an interesting story. And the second child was John Pierre Burr, who became a member of the Underground Railroad directly helping refugees escape in Philadelphia. He was an agent for the abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator, as well as the chairman of the American Moral Reform Society.
0: Not bad. So he
3: went on to do some really cool shit.
0: Yeah. Like, they're, like, technically illegitimate children, but they went on to be like, fuck that.
3: Yeah. (laughs) We can do whatever we
0: want, and we're going to do some cool stuff that's going to, like, rewrite history more than our father ever really did.
3: Right. And honestly, both could probably be their own episode, or maybe the two of them together. I don't know how many sources we're going to find on them. Um, So I don't want to go too much further into them here. I don't want to tell their whole story as a footnote. I just wanted to point out that they exist and they are worth reading up on.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um,
3: One of the stories, for example, of John Pierre Burr, uh, when he was helping in the or when he was like working as a member of the Underground Railroad, he because he was mixed race, he was very pale um like he was very light-skinned he was all like kind of white passing so what he would do is he would take slaves that were trying to escape to freedom and he would pass them off as his slaves get to the next checkpoint and then just like let them like you know make sure that they got to safety and then leave them in the hands of the next checkpoint and he would do this all the time just like pretending to be like a white man so that if anybody questioned him he would just be like oh no no these like they're with me it's all good we're good here and then they would just like believe him and walk on by So he had brains. Good to know. He got like the (laughs) brain cells of the family. (laughs) Yeah. So he's smart and he's convincing. And he's like, yeah, he just, he seemed like a really, yeah. They both seemed like really like interesting people that were like very much like involved in the movement and everything. And I just, I, I would like to do more research on them later. So I'm like thinking maybe we can do an episode on them at some point. So, and this leads us back to Theodosia Jr., Because again, I don't want to tell their whole story here. I want to dig into that at another point. Uh, And so Theodosia Jr. really is the jewel of this piece. Which I say because, I mean, well, I love a good mystery. And this one involves pirates. And we all know by now how I love a good pirate story. And I found a better handful of sources for Theodosia Jr. Than I did for Theodosia Sr. Including a presentation on YouTube by the North Carolina Museum of History. Which was quite interesting. And I recommend listening to it if you ever get the chance. So Theodosia Burr was the only child of Aaron Burr and Theodosia Burr Sr. to survive to adulthood. Both of her parents were surprisingly progressive feminists for the time, and she was given an extensive education studying the usual subjects as well as math, Latin, Greek, French, and English, and could read and write by age three. Okay, she's a brilliant child. She's a brilliant child. (laughs) This girl is a prodigy so she was reading books well above her reading level and was doted on by her father by all accounts she seemed to be close with her five step siblings as well later writing with great affection to the wife of one of her stepbrothers basically acting as sisters which is adorable to see Mm -hmm. and she was such a daddy's girl and was her father's pride and joy Theodosia Sr. wrote to her father while he was traveling to say that she was left miserable at the mention of his name while he was gone and that her, quote, attachment was not of a common nature. She was writing letters to him by age five and keeping a journal at his instruction. His responses to her letters included editorial criticisms of her writing, pointing out grammar and spelling mistakes, as well as encouragement. So always a teacher. (laughs) That Always a teacher because that was part of her curriculum that was that was a teaching style that he had learned from some other philosopher I don't remember the name of and started practicing with his own kid so like I mentioned earlier both mother and father played a massive part in providing her education so when Theodosia senior passed away Theodosia junior was only 10. She would have lost two brothers who, was, who were stillborn and a younger sister who died at age three. So she had more than her share of grief at a very young age.
0: Yeah, like that's sad for her, like that she would have had
3: to go through all of that. It's a lot. It's a lot for a little 10 year old. Uh, her father continued overseeing her education from afar while he worked for the Senate encouraging a French governess to open a school from his home to continue her studies, as well as inviting her young charge, Natalie Delage, only eight months older than Theodosia Jr., to join as a friend for Theodosia, as well as an example of class and sophistication. So luckily, they got along and became lifelong friends. Uh, Her parents' educational methods combined with her natural intellect resulted in a child prodigy who grew up to become one of the most educated women of her time. Her father had big ambitions for her, and he treated her education as an experiment, essentially testing if women could be as intellectual as men if given the same education and opportunity. He desperately wanted her to grow up to convince the world that, uh, quote, what neither sex appears to believe, that women have souls, which is a lofty task for a 10-year-old. Yeah. Or even more so for a baby. (laughs)
0: Like... That's a huge task, because at that point, men really didn't want
3: to believe that. No, they didn't. Women weren't counted as uh, humans in the eyes of the law. And really, or, sorry, did her father people, actually believe it?
0: Because he was the one just sleeping around with
3: everyone. Like I said, nobody in history can keep it in their pants, but he was surprisingly infamous. So like, I d- I, and again, we don't know if Theodosia knew that he had like a mistress, that there was another woman in his life. I mean, if it was in, in the life, same house... Know.
0: Like, if it was in the same
3: household, you'd think you'd realize it. I mean, maybe, but, you know, we don't, we don't know. We don't have any documentation saying that she knew. Yeah.
0: Or that she she wasn't she might have, like, hidden the fact that she knew, right? Where it's like, okay, I know, but I'm not going to say anything because that is my job as your wife is to just let you do whatever the heck you want
3: to do. Or maybe she, like, didn't, like, maybe she wasn't bothered by it. Yeah. That's a possibility, too. But. We have no way of knowing, though. So yeah, it turns out he was a massive feminist, and he put a lot of pressure on his daughter to show up and prove everybody wrong, essentially, but in like the biggest way. Uh, and she did. She grew up to be renowned for her mind, as much as her mother was, uh, as much as her mother was for her charm. Her education was intense—like three hours of writing practice starting at five a.m. every morning, and three more at night. Intense. Like five a.m. Jesus. Five a.m. The kid can't be brilliant if the kid doesn't get any sleep. Every hour was dedicated to her curriculum. Like, everything was mapped out. Like, there was so much control in her education. And Burr believed uh, in keeping his children busy and disciplined, believing that it would make them successful.
0: Well, like, no wonder she decided to turn to piracy
3: later on. She needed some fun. <laughs> Actually, she's not the pirate in that story. But we'll get to it later. I know, right? Okay, so we'll get we'll get to that later. <laughs> so that would have been an amazing story as far as we know i should say she's not the pirate in that story that's i have a whole new theory about what happened to her there now um <laughs> distracted anyway uh so yeah so it was crazy crazy disciplined and even still like every hour was mapped out uh like there was like You know, for three hours, she studies this, or she studies writing in the morning, and then for three hours, she practices math, and then she does some physical activity, and then, like, all of it was mapped out, kind of like school now, but, like, her entire day. But even still, she adored her father so much, so she must have enjoyed them to, like, at least an extent. (laughs) Either that, or she was just desperate to police him and went along with it just to make him happy. So, it's possible that her father saw raising her into an intellectual as sort of a tribute to her mother as well, because he held very high esteem for her mind, too, right? Yeah. And it's possible that Theodosia Jr. saw it the same way. So at 15, she was described as being able to dance as gracefully as any young New York woman, but at the same time being able to hold conversations about classical writers and being well-versed in multiple languages. Already, she was learning to toe the line of societal expectation and offense. She was surpassing expectations about what she could do as a woman, but without doing it in a way that would bring her critis- criticism for breaking those barriers as a woman, which makes me think of Peggy Schuyler, who did not toe that line so well yeah. and went heavy on the intelligent side to the point of people telling her that she needed to dial it back. So it's like, it's like she really was being trained in how to kind of have the best of both worlds and to like excel at everything she did. But no pressure for a fifteen-year-old at this yeah, point. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. Not, not one little bit. But she was doing it. She was surpassing expectations. Uh, like, like I said, she basically she had to meet the definition of a perfect woman as well as the definition of a perfect man without allowing anyone to question her femininity, and she was achieving that, which is like, like seriously prod, like prodigy child. Like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess know.
0: she wouldn't have known anything different if. She was, like, basically, like, homeschooled, I guess, in a way from, like, what you're saying, other than, like, her little friend and stuff, right? Like, that she her wouldn't have life. been, like, oh, but everybody else doesn't have to do this.
3: Mm-hmm. No, her whole life was like this, right? Like, she she never would have known anything else. Uh, so her father was aware of this as well and made it painfully clear to her the pressure that she was under to, as Shakespeare would say, take pains and be perfect. Uh, he was desperate for her to be an example of what women could be. He was a determined feminist, but in the name of the movement, crushed his daughter's freedom in order to force her into this position of being a role model for all women, essentially from birth. I can't imagine how she must have felt under that pressure, but she was extremely strong and carried it all, apparently almost effortlessly. And I'm not surprised. So I was I was kind of surprised to hear that Burr was this much of a feminist because again, like in... Like, Hamilton, there's, like, very little reference of that from Burr, about him taking a stand on anything. Yeah. So, that he has such a strong stand on this was kind of surprising to me to learn. I mean, unless
0: he was, like, finally taking a page out of Alexander's book.
3: Which is possible. Though, at this point, I'm trying to think about how this maps up timeline-wise with whether or not... I think he would know Alexander at this point, but I don't think... Yeah, no. At this point, he definitely knew Alexander. Yeah,
0: because um, Theodosia senior, they like her husband died around the same time as when Alexander and like Eliza met, mm-hmm. or no? So yeah, yeah. Like 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 yeah. Like they were meeting or something like around that same time, because it was the West ball of seventeen eighty that Alexander and Eliza met. It was Al- Alexander's wedding that he found out that Burr had another, had a woman from a British officer.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, definitely knew each other. So that's Theodosia's childhood. That's her teen years. That's her upbringing. So now as a young woman, Theodosia took over her father's household as the hostess, but he did not and would not let her be limited to to a station society had set out for her and insisted that even into adulthood, she shouldn't abandon her studies nonetheless like her mother she knew how to play the game society set out for her and she followed in her mother's footsteps making friends with even her father's political enemies so even the people that didn't like aaron burr still said that okay but his daughter is a genius though (laughs) and like had nothing but good things to say about her well i mean keep your enemies closer yeah so she played the part that she was like kind of supposed to play since she would never be allowed into politics or to practice law, no matter what her reputation was. Her father recognized the political benefits of marrying Theodosia to a wealthy young man, and he chose a man named Joseph Alston. She had to be convinced into the marriage a little, from what we can see, at one point replying to one of Alston's proposals, saying that Aristotle advised that no man should marry before 30. He was, he was young, he was 22. <laughs> So she basically said that, like, well, you shouldn't be getting married until 30 anyway. So, like, (laughs) So, um, so he essentially replied asking if it was fair to make a man wait until 30 if he was desperately in love with a young woman and was only 22. She must have thought that was a good point. So in 1801, at 18, she was 18. He was, I think, around 22 still. She married him. Uh, they honeymooned at Niagara Falls as the first celebrity couple to do so.
0: Aww.
3: Or like influential couple to do so. Before moving to South Carolina where Joseph entered politics, serving in the legislature for 10 years before being elected as governor. They started off happily but humbly living with Joseph, Joseph's brother before moving into the plantation home his grandfather built when they had finished remodeling it. And Joseph was old enough to claim his inheritance. It was comparable in size to the other houses in the area, so it was a very common home, nothing grand or elaborate. And Aaron Burr wrote to Theodosia around this time saying that he was glad that they weren't starting off in splendor. Apparently he thought it would be better for her character.
0: Okay, but he wanted her to marry a rich man.
3: <laughs> he wanted her to marry a rich man, but he didn't want her to get spoiled and not like maintain the discipline that he instilled in her growing up. Okay. He wanted her to work for it and earn it. You know, you kind of can't have the best of both worlds here, man. (laughs) (laughs) So Joseph's career was going well, and Theodosia traveled to their second home in Charleston, where she enjoyed the social benefits that her plantation home didn't allow. And they were happy and everything was great until it wasn't. Uh, So unfortunately, Theodosia's life started becoming destabilized only a year after her marriage. In 1802, Theodosia gave birth to a son, naming him after her father by naming him Aaron Burr Alston. But I have to give a warning for a traumatic birth story here. The baby survives, but if a mother having major medical difficulties is a trigger for you, please skip ahead to the timestamp in the notes of this episode. She does survive this. So in pregnancy or in birth, she suffered from what's called a prolapsed uterus, which is kind of as awful as it sounds. It is when the muscles and the ligaments in your pelvic floor weakened and can't support the uterus and it slips down into the vagina. Which sounds excruciating and terrifying, but according to Mayo Clinic, it doesn't usually require treatment unless it disrupts your normal day-to-day activities. Disclaimer, I am not a doctor, and this is not medical advice nor a professional opinion of any kind. This is just reporting what Mayo Clinic says to get some insight into Theodosia's story. She must have had a more severe case, though, because her birth story resulted in trauma and sickness that she never fully recovered from. She spent a lot of time traveling to doctors seeking treatments for infections, illnesses, and pain. She was even bedridden for months at one point after falling and damaging her spine, which was worsened by the condition that she already had. She was only 19 when she had her son and all her medical troubles began. Oh my goodness. That poor girl. So, not all her troubles were medical, though. Her father's career was in a decline at this point, and he began selling off his properties, including but not limited to Theodosia's childhood home. Not Which meant that she no longer had access to it. So not too long afterwards, in 1804, Aaron Burr makes his fatal mistake by not throwing away his shot and shooting Alexander Hamilton, ending Hamilton's life and destroying his own. Theodosia's father, whom she loved so dearly, was wanted for murder. He kind of messed up a little bit there? Yeah, a little bit. So, quick side note about the timing of this. When I was looking at the timeline of her her life and realized when this event happened, I immediately thought about Aaron Burr's line in the Hamilton song, The World Was Wide Enough, where where he sings, I had only one thought before the slaughter. This man will not make an orphan of my daughter and gets emotional. Now, like, they were very close, but she was a married adult, And a mother herself, even. Yeah. And orphans can be any age. The term isn't exclusively referring to children. I'm not disputing that. But the way the line was written had me thinking that she was still a child when that happened. Like, she'd be helpless without birth there.
0: Yeah. No, I knew that she was older and married with
3: kids. See, I had no idea. I thought that she was a child at that point still.
0: But, I mean, I went through the the Hamilton Bible tome. Like... (laughs) thoroughly and i think that's where i like learned it where i'm like oh okay i yeah, like she's a little old to be like that emotional about it like she's perfectly fine she's
3: taken care of right but what about your the children a, <laughs> right but she had like they had such a close connection that like it still kind of makes sense but it was like that moment that i was like oh wait she wasn't like 12 when that happened <laughs> no which i mean it makes sense because you see philip grow up and so you see the passage of time in the play i just never put like the connection together that like these two babies that were born at the same time are obviously both going to be adults by the time this happens so but philip's already gone philip's already gone at that point i know but he was an adult when he got into the duel too right so like clearly theodosia would have been an adult but this was like my like the moment where i suddenly realized like oh wait she wasn't a little kid there
0: No, and she, like, was literally married. Like, if she wasn't she was married, married, then I'd be like, yeah, like, be worried about it. But she was married with, like, at least one child.
2: <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass
3: She was married, and she had a child. She only had the one child she She never had another one, I think, with her medical conditions. I don't think it would have been like safe for her to do that. Yeah, so yeah, I was under the impression that she'd be like genuinely helpless without her there. so she was very distraught about her father's situation, but her needs were still met as much as could be with her medical conditions, and she wasn't dependent on him by any standards. So the line just kind of struck me as odd. Uh, until i found out that the night before the duel this is the thing that does make it make sense though he wrote a letter to her husband more or less begging him to continue encouraging theodosia's education apparently still obsessed with making her the smartest in the room in every room he really never would be satisfied with how far she'd come and he wasn't gonna be able to wait for it if he didn't stay alive <laughs> you see what i'm doing here i see your face okay <laughs> Okay, I'll take a break from I... the <laughs> Hamilton now. Sorry, I can help it one last time. I'm not sorry. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I wrote this part in the middle of the night filled by caffeine and sugar. Let me live my life. No. <laughs> so comedic relief aside, uh, we all know by now that Hamilton died. Uh, Burr was charged with his murder and Theodosia was absolutely devastated. He was later vindicated, but Burr's reputation was absolutely demolished. And his career looked like it was over and his actions brought shame on Theodosia's in-laws just by being connected to him.
0: Well, I mean He's he did sh- like shoot and kill a very a important person. Like, like Like yeah, like yes. Yeah. As we're talking <laughs> about with like the like the Evangeline story, like the Hamiltons were like the creme de la creme mm-hmm. <laughs> of New York society.
3: Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, she was massively depressed over this as well as her seemingly incurable health conditions that she was in the middle of fighting over, like fighting her way through. Yeah, I relate with she... her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought about you when I was reading up on that. She wrote a letter to her father saying that she, uh, that she never ended up sending, saying that she felt she was, quote, standing on the brink of eternity. And it was only a few years later that Burr was tried for treason But no one on the defense or the prosecution could agree as to what actually happened, so he was acquitted as there wasn't enough evidence of anything. Bird did, however, jump bail and flee to Europe in 1808, which left Theodosia to miss him desperately. Yeah, that doesn't make anybody think that
0: you're not guilty or anything. If you're like, oh shoot, I'm on bail. I'm just going to flee to the other side of the friggin'
3: world. (laughs) i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna get out of here he yeah so he jumped bail he was wanted for that he realized as well that his reputation was bringing down his daughter's like standings because it was bringing down her husband's like reputation and like his side of the family and like he needed her to have them in a good position so that like she would be doing like better so he's just like you know what i'm gonna just peace out of here i'm just like Yes, but jumping ship and not taking
0: the consequences isn't going to help your situation. I know that,
3: and you know that. (laughs) But that's what he did. And and like I said, she missed him. She missed him so much so that she wrote to the then First Lady, Madame Dolly Madison, making a case to her to, quote, apply to the president for a removal of the prosecution now existing against Aaron Burr, end quote, Arguing that he had already lost everything and even if he did have plans for treason, there was no way he'd be able to carry it out now because he had lost all of his friends and all of his influence and all of his resources. Doesn't mean that there's not a one-man
0: show treason
3: (laughs) happening. The treason that they were suggesting was that he was trying to branch off a portion of America and like United States and Mexico and like make an empire of his own, which he would be emperor over. And it's like a whole theory that we don't know how much of it is. true. Yeah. The guy who just hangs out in the sidelines
0: is totally now all of a sudden like, let me become
3: emperor. Well, people theorize that that's why he educated Theodosia the way that she was educated was so that she could be empress when he was gone because she would be the the only blood heir that he acknowledged at that point, right? So like, the theory doesn't have no grounds, but it has very few grounds. I would still say that there's like no grounds. It's, it's an interesting theory, and if you've got the time, I, I do like. It's interesting to look into. I don't know how much of it is actually accurate and how much of it was just political, like vitriol read at him because people hated him at this point
0: wait he killed friggin' alexander hamilton listen i
3: know the (laughs) music was not
0: named aaron burr
3: (laughs) i know i know so like it's it's possible that it's slander we don't know but it is an interesting theory uh so yeah so she argues that there's no way he'd be able to carry it out now she also argues that he sacrificed a lot for the country for the foundation of the country and that it was an injustice that he should be in exile, self-inflicted, excuse me, self-inflicted exile, but exile nonetheless, instead of retiring despite being, quote, one of the first characters the United States ever produced. She ends off by saying that she didn't tell her husband that she was writing this letter, and I have a big long quote here, so bear with me. If it be an error, attribute it to the indiscreet zeal of a daughter whose soul sinks at the gloomy prospect of a long and indefinite separation from a father almost adored, and who can leave unattempted nothing which offers the slightest hope of procuring him redress. What indeed would I not risk once more to see him, to hang upon him, to place my child on his knee and again spend my days in the happy occupation of endeavoring to anticipate all his wishes? Because everything about the Adoja is just so intense. <laughs> But poor Burr
0: when she says almost
3: (laughs) Almost, I know. Almost adored. Like
0: he keeps having like these almost moments.
3: Yeah.
0: Except for killing Burr, except for killing Hamilton. That was a that was like the one thing that he didn't almost do. He actually did.
3: Right. Like she like she clearly adores him like she's literally saying here that she's willing to risk it all just to see her dad one more time. Like so she clearly adores him. But I like I I got caught at the almost word too. I was like girl if this is almost what is fully because right? like she literally her last line here is literally and again spend my days in the happy occupation of endeavoring to anticipate all his wishes. She lives to serve this man, like what is fully? <laughs> How is this almost? I don't know, but yeah, like
0: I feel bad for Burr that <laughs> it's literally an almost adore. Like he's like pretty much he like, like like to us, it's a fully adore, but it's still just an almost. <laughs> right? She still had to
3: throw that almost in there. Oh man, he just can't win. <laughs> so. Her husband's career was still successful, at least, but her son was really the gem of her life. Briefly, in 1810, she was encouraged by a doctor she had met, and she wrote that she was certain this doctor would restore her health, and she'd be overjoyed when she could hold her then eight-year-old son again. Her husband had purchased a large chunk of land that they lived in during the summer, but in 1812, when they were like out visiting, he had to return to his father's summer home in Debedue, think that's how you say that i'm not sure in order to start campaigning for an upcoming election they had summer homes specifically to avoid contracting malaria uh though it didn't have that name yet as most rice plantation owners did because it was a big problem on rice plantations during the summer that there would be all these mosquitoes and it would be spreading malaria around so austin took his wife and son with him to the devideau which was it was another summer home but while they were there, Aaron Burr Alston, Theodosia's only child, contracted malaria and passed away at only ten years old.
0: So, like in the summer home that you're supposed to mm-hmm. not be able to contract malaria from, the kid mm-hmm. contracts malaria. Yeah. Yes. The poor woman. Right. Like we're gonna I- do what we can to so you. We don't contract it. And oh shit. <laughs>
3: And the poor dad, too, to, like, be the one... Like, they were at another summer home where they were seemingly safe, and they only traveled to the one where the kid got sick because of his job. So it was literally just because of him that they went there in the first place. Like, the survivor's guilt. Like, ooh. So he was only 10 years old, which happened to be the same age Theodosia was when she lost her mother, which is just, like, a connection that's just, like... Like, it just hurts to think about. Yeah. So, her father was still in exile through all of this. Her health worsened, as did her depression, for all the obvious reasons. Her grief was heavy. She wrote that, quote, the world is blank. I have lost my boy. My child is gone forever. In talking about this time.
0: Yeah, and, like, knowing with, like, chronic illnesses and stuff, like, stress and grief does not help whatsoever. Nope. So, like, it's just, like, a vicious cycle for her, like... And especially at a
3: time when there's no help for her, really. And she was sunk in it. She was lost in it. But she did finally have a glimmer of hope when her father told her he was returning to New York soon afterwards, finally coming back across the ocean. She desperately wanted to see him again. But this is 1812, and there's a war going on. Yeah, Joseph hesitated, but they did... Uh, but they decided that she alone would go by ship. They figured that would be safer. So most of the usual ships had been taken over by the Navy, and only a few smaller ships were around, and even fewer would be carrying passengers. So it took them a while, but they found a ship called the Patriot, whose captain was willing to sail her. Her husband traveled with her to the harbor at Georgetown in South Carolina and said goodbye to her unknowingly for the last time. December thirtieth, 1812, the Patriot left the harbor, crossed the bar into open sea, and no one on the ship was ever seen again. Two months later, Alston wrote a letter to Burr saying, this then is the end of all the hopes we had formed. So remember, she was not only Alston's wife and Burr's daughter, she was also proof of the capabilities of all womankind and was meant to be a beacon and an example for all women. And she died young before, to their eyes, she could fully realize that.
0: Yeah. Well, and like, if I, I feel bad because I'm like, okay, so like, Burr was supposed to have come to New York, and then they're mm-hmm. like, well, oh, no, we'll just send you and like send her instead.
3: No, no. She was she was going by boat to New York. Oh, where were like, where were they then? Like, so they were in Georgetown, which is in South Carolina, and so they
0: why thought wouldn't you that just travel... safest... Oh, because I guess because of the war that like, you're not going to travel through the actual
3: states. So because of the war... they so you're just going to do like a round trip. Travel. <laughs> exactly. So because of everything else that was going on, they decided that the safest form of travel would be by ship. But even that was dangerous because there was the British Navy to consider and all like the fighting happening on the sea. So they finally found a ship. They thought it was going to be safe. She had this glimmer of hope. She had been in this depression. She was sick for so long. She had just lost her child. She has this glimmer of hope. She's finally going to get to see her father again. And she never makes it there. Yeah. What a tragic ending. Like it's like, it's just all these circumstances added up at the worst time in the worst way.
0: Mm-hmm. So, although really, why would you want to go to New York? It's a little close to Washington, DC where we are running down the white house.
3: <laughs> I think it was because like it would, it just, she wouldn't, there was something, there was something, there was a reason that bird wouldn't have been able to make it out to her. But if she went to New York, she could see him I can't Like, dude, like, exactly don't go to New York, was, just go straight
0: down to where your kid is.
3: <laughs> I know, I know, but, like, I can't remember what it was now, but I remember that there was a reason that, like, he couldn't see, like, he couldn't come to see her. It might have had to do with his court cases, like, because, yeah, so he had a lot of stuff, like, legally going on. So I don't know if he would have been, like, allowed to go down to see her, but if she came up to New York, she could see him. So that was like, she's like, this is the only way I can see you, so we're going to make this happen. Scary times, scary things are happening, but we're going to make this work. Yeah,
0: but dude, at this time, as we know, no identification is needed. Put on a disguise, just get on a ship, and just bypass New York. <laughs> I mean, clearly he's okay with breaking the law, so like... <laughs> exactly! So why are you, like... There's no reason for you not know, to just go straight to your child if she's not New York.
3: <laughs> there was there was some reason I can't remember what it was, but there was some reason that it was just it, it made more sense. Like I mean, they had no way of knowing, though, right? Like they had no way of knowing. Like they knew it wasn't going to be like safe either way, but they had no, no way but, like, of knowing. Like,
0: instead it was of sending a woman like, through a war and... zone, send the father.
3: <laughs> he went too though, and he's like a much more like noted poli- political figure. He would have been a bigger target, but. That's the risk you take. They thought that she would have been the safer of the three of them. They thought that she would have been the safest one to travel. She's the less, like, she's the most inconspicuous, you know?
0: Sure. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> they were clearly wrong. So. History Austin. does have their eyes on you guys.
3: <laughs> you were wrong. <laughs> oh, man. So, Austin died... Only a few years later in 1816, but Burr survived her for much longer until 1836. So, what happened to Theodosia? There are a few theories. I've got about four of them listed, and I came up with number five when you mentioned the thing about pirates earlier. <laughs> so, but that's just mine and is based on nothing historically. It's just a fun one, so I'm going to mention it in a minute. But first, the most, like, according to historians, the more likely theories so, number one, the Admiral of the British fleet reported that there was a massive storm with hurricane-like winds that swept over the path of the Patriot. According to the Admiral, there was no way a small ship like the Patriot could survive the storm. Aaron Burr was eventually convinced that the ship was simply wrecked in the storm, and she and the rest of the passengers didn't survive. So, this was the, like, kind of winning theory when it happened. Okay. However... Within 10 years, stories of deathbed confessions from former pirates started surfacing. Pirates began claiming that they were involved in the disappearance of the Patriot, but their stories didn't line up with what they did know, and most of them were quickly disproven. There were two, however, that said they were part of the crew on the Patriot, and they had mutinied, taking off with the loot from the ship on a smaller ship, leaving the Patriot to drift or sink in their wake. They never mentioned the storm, though it's unknown if they were telling the truth. Okay, no, but what I was the
0: Like what was the Patriot then like? What type of ship was it that they It were... was
3: essentially a dinghy. Like it wasn't like a very big ship at the time.
0: But then so then what kind of loot were they taking? Still a
3: question. Anyway <laughs> Just whatever there was like I mean, they were hauling around Theodosia Burr. like she was a wealthy woman.
0: So what like, they, her they husband they, was extremely loot sensible. was the
3: Theodosia, like <laughs> not the dojo, but her stuff fancy dresses we'll get into some of the stuff that they did find from the ship later well potentially yeah so they never mentioned the th- storm though so it's unknown if they were telling the truth essentially these pirates are believed to be cloud chasing by trying to claim responsibility for the mysterious disappearance of the patriot and getting away with it but then again sometimes this truth is stranger than fiction so who really knows it could have been pirates we don't know <laughs> hard to tell pirates are known for tall tales so Theory number three is years later, after Theodosia's disappearance, a portrait called the Nags Head was pulled out of the attic of a woman who had a very peculiar story about how she came to own it. Dr. William Poole was on vacation in Nags Head, where he was called to the bedside of a woman named Polly Mann, the widow of a local fisherman. He noticed the portrait in her home and asked the woman where she got it. She lived in a small, humble home, so the portrait of a young aristocratic woman caught his attention. Mrs. Mann told him that when she was young, during the war with the British, a ship washed ashore with no one inside. Now, in that area, a lot of locals were poor and desperate and had no problem looting shipwrecked ships to take and sell or use whatever they could. So, some wreckers found this completely abandoned ship and got to work looting it. One of the wreckers was Man's lover at the time, and he, heard, he earned himself two black silk dresses and the portrait that day and gave them to Man as a gift. Dr. Poole then made a deal with Man that rather than paying him for his services, she could simply exchange the portrait for his assistance. She agreed, and Dr. Poole took it home with him to research it thoroughly. His research convinced him that the portrait was an image of Theodosia Burr. Hmm. He did... Everything he could to authenticate it, even finding Burr's descendants and members of Alston's family to ask them to confirm it. Burr's descendants were convinced, but all, the Alston side was less convinced. One member of the family was still alive who had known Theodosia, and she couldn't say for sure as she was only nine when Theodosia disappeared and was now in her sixties, but she said that the eyes were her likeness. Further, the timing of man's story matches up with the timing of the Patriot's disappearance. And the Patriot was the only civilian ship recorded as being lost in January 1813. Okay. So since its discovery, no one has ever come forward saying that this portrait was an image of anyone else. And considering this portrait is one of the more common images of Theodosia appearing in all sorts of publications, there's been plenty of opportunity for it to be recognized. If you compare it to other confirmed images of Theodosia, you can see the similarities for yourself. The portrait isn't dated or signed, so we'll likely never know who actually painted it. But personally, I'm pretty well convinced that it's her. Whether or not it was actually found on the ship or just a convincing interpretation of what she would have looked like is another question.
0: I mean, it's possible. Because, like, ships running ashore and being found empty are is common. Like, when you look at, like, the Bermuda Triangle and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, and then, like, during one of the documentaries that i saw on like the bermuda triangle um it was like they're saying that with storms which apparently happened around this time of the sailing that the ships can get kind of like lost at sea then they're going around and around and if you start running out of like water and stuff and you start drinking sea Like the salty water, that can actually start to have massive repercussions, and then people will start dripping off the ship and stuff like that, or just passing away. So Mm -hmm. it's like it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility Possibility. that, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. the ship like kind of like came ashore and wrecked on the shore. So then all these
3: goods and stuff were still fairly salvageable. So here's theory number four. And this is kind of the one that I lean towards, which suggests that the events of theory number three were not a coincidence. So theory number four is another slight, uh, is a slight variation to theory number three. So Mrs. Mann wasn't particularly forthcoming with her story about the wreckers. And Dr. Poole always said that he felt that she was hiding something when she was telling her story, which leads to a theory that has to do with the state in which the ship was found. We've already talked about how people in the area made money as wreckers, taking scrap and looted from and uh, sorry, taking scrap and loot from wrecked ships. That's confirmed. We know that they did that. Supposedly, some of the wreckers in the area were also okay with, shall we say, fabricating shipwrecks. So pirate shipwreckers? <laughs> land pirates is okay. what they call them. So story goes that land pirates would tie a lantern to the neck or head of a Nag, that is an old horse, hence Nag's Head, and walk them up and down the rocky coast at night in order to trick ships into thinking that they were sailing into a safe harbor. Then, because it would look like a lighthouse, and then, when the ships ran aground or into the rocks, they would kill everyone on the ship and loot it, and that's where the area gets the name Nag's Head from. So... But then where the are question- the bodies? The bodies... <laughs> Probably tossed back into the sea, I would imagine. And also, the p- portrait was found like years and years and years, like ages after the shipwreck actually took place. So they yeah. would be long gone.
0: But like we all know, like that body parts will wash up somewhere.
3: Somewhere, possibly connected to something, possibly eaten by a shark, possibly completely unidentifiable. Especially in this eighteen hundreds, where they didn't have DNA technology. I mean, true, but like eaten by the fishes, buried in the bush buried on the beach who knows huh. in the but they
0: did something because they they gone but you'd think that like um, theo with like her
3: brains <laughs> but wait but she was also very very sick remember true and she was traveling at sea so she could not have been well Nah. i mean
0: no ma- like nobody's well at that point traveling by sea you don't have gravel
3: exactly and brain is not Braun and also she was not the she was a passenger on the ship it's not like she was the one personally that was tricked it would have been the captain the captain and his crew and in a stormy we know it was stormy at that time right so in a stormy night they're looking for a safe harbor possibly to wait out the storm they see a lantern in the distance they think it's a safe harbor it makes sense no it does so the question here becomes: Was the ship really empty when it was discovered, or did land pirates trick it into crashing onto the shoals and kill everyone on board? Or did sea pirates attack the ship, kill everyone on board, and realize the British ships were too close and abandon the ship without looting it, leaving it to wash ashore abandoned, like Mrs. Mann claimed? Or were they just lost at sea and the ship washed up after everybody passed away from like being dehydrated and sick and everything? Yeah, I mean, so it's there's too many options. There's too many options. There's too many things. It's either it did actually wash up on shore empty and everyone was already dead, or her lover at the time, who she didn't, wasn't the man that she ended up marrying, was a land pirate and stole a portrait and two black silk dresses from Theodosia to give to her. I mean, if you find the finder's keepers, but. Finder's keepers. <laughs> My fifth option as soon as you, like, Mentioned about like Theodosia turning to piracy. I immediately thought that, like, oh, wait, what if they were taken by pirates? And because we talked about with Ann Bonnie that it was common practice that if they took a ship, they would just kidnap the people on board and like take them with them. So, like, it's what if she was taken by pirates? What if she did join them and we just like she changed her name or something and just would never was never caught? Like,
0: I don't know because I think I'm like. I'm not so sure though now, like knowing that she was sick, like so sick, and that mm-hmm. she was so dedicated to Aaron Burr that she would have been like, I need to go she see my father. Like, to... she would have found a way to go get, like, to go see Aaron, no matter what.
3: Left... Yeah, It would be like if a Bonnie and Clyde behind. kind
0: of a thing that I want to go see my parent. I, like, yes,
3: I'm a pirate yeah. now, but. I need to go yeah. say hello. No, you're totally right. I like the imagery of Theodosia, the charming intellectual, joining the band of pirates as a means of escaping in order to get back to her father, which she was never able to do. But realistically... I mean realistically, no. She probably, sadly, died very unlikely. Sea. Yeah. More likely that she was killed by them, unfortunately. So, uh, and the... Part of the thing going towards the portrait, like, most likely being Theodosia's as well, that it's been theorized that since she hadn't seen her father for so long, since they were so close, since he was finally coming back to America and was, like, kind of starting over, a portrait of herself to give to her father would have made for a fantastic welcome back gift. Yeah. And so people think that that's why she had a portrait of herself with her. No, it definitely would make sense. I agree. But no one will ever know for sure. Since her disappearance, Theodosia has been the subject of historical novels, plays, movies, even local ghost stories. So, one story claims that Theodosia's ghost can be found in the cemetery where her husband and son were buried, weeping and mourning their deaths. The other is that she haunts the beach near her father-in-law's beach house, where her son died. Some of the foundation from that house is still there, which ties her there, according to the legend. Let's go ghost hunting. (laughs) I will figure it out. Just, I will find go.
0: out if Theodosia's there.
3: <laughs> we'll go. We'll go. My theor- my I did think about like the cemetery thing and I'm like, "Okay, but the odds that someone is crying at a cemetery at ev- any given time, like I feel like if you're going to hear like weeping that you can't quite place, it's probably just someone else actually mourning their loved one.
0: <laughs> like unless it's like they can hear it specifically at those grave sites.
3: I don't know, it's just local legend. It could
0: be any widow or whatever,
3: like, ghost. <laughs> exactly. No, but it's it's just local legend. But yeah, that is the life and mysterious disappearance of Theodosia Burr. Thoughts, comments, questions? I mean, I just feel for her. Yeah. Like, knowing
0: what she was going through with, like, her pains and stuff, I f- super feel for that poor woman. And then, like, with mm-hmm. all of the grief and stuff that was happening around the same time,
3: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she went through a lot. She she really went through it. Like the pressure that she was under literally from like being an infant to being an adult is like intense. Like I can't imagine being raised specifically to be the feminist like torchbearer for all women everywhere. Like that's a lot. That Yeah. Like it's just a lot.
0: No, it's definitely a lot. And then I'm also like I'm wondering, like, how her final moments, like, were for her. Because, mm-hmm. like, with, um, like, I really liked how with, like, um, Hamilton, um, how Lynn looked at it, like, that he was maybe looking and going, there's my son, there's George Washington, like, I can, mm-hmm. like, if I do die, at least I can be with them. That, like, yeah. in that situation for her, was there that peace that I'm going to see my son and my mom and, her and stuff like that again, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm like I'm hoping that like her final moments were somewhat peaceful, like in a way for her. Like I'm yeah. gonna bet that they're not that definitely they weren't fun. Like yeah. it wasn't like she was passing away in her sleep, most likely. Yeah. But I'm hoping it's... there's some peace that
3: she had of hey, I'm gonna go see my
0: family again.
3: Girl went through so much trauma and she went through so much of it with such grace and ease. Like they well maybe not ease maybe ease isn't the right word but she she was able to present herself like she was like so Mm -hmm. high functioning throughout so much of it and it wasn't until she was like physically ill that anything stopped her like just the pressure that she grew up under losing her mother at such a young age like having that kind of like instability of her father being sometimes there and sometimes gone like and then to like still be able to carry that charisma and that charm and to be able to like comments everyone like everyone yeah she was this delightful prodigy is and to be like that was kind of the height of her life was like just before she got married and then like i guess later like the good times with her son when she did have them like it's just yeah she went through a lot no she definitely went through a lot yeah another light-hearted episode <laughs> well i mean
0: yeah like as everybody knows that's just kind of our thing <laughs>
3: <laughs> no i do find some hope in it though like throughout all of it she was still for the most part there were definitely times where like her depression got the better of her we we definitely saw examples of that but she looked for the hope yeah. um you know like she like made a best friend for life when, like, shortly after her mother passed away, she, like, you know, carried everything that her father placed on her. She, like, you know, she was convinced into marrying a guy that she ended up really liking, and they actually seemed very happy with each other. Yeah, right? Um, I I didn't find any sources of him cheating, so, (laughs) like... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. (laughs) As far as we know. (laughs) Hopefully hopefully geez but he seemed like he was clearly madly in love with her and like yeah like she she definitely like had her bright and shining moments but like to finally be able to see her father again who she so dearly missed and then to just not quite make it and to disappear in such like a like you know we have no idea why it happened or how it happened or like what happened yeah it's just yeah i and for her husband he only he didn't live very long after that but to have that unanswered question of like what happened to her would have been and like after he lost his son too right so like well, like for burr as well like not knowing what happened yeah right for burr not knowing what happened why did she never show up for the husband like he lost his son and then very shortly after he lost his wife it didn't really surprise me to read that only a few years after that he himself passed away yeah um from illness i believe like i don't think it was self-inflicted or anything but like that takes a toll on you oh totally so yeah i guess my hopeful note was that like she proved Burr right his theory about like women being able to achieve things as great as what a man could do if given the same opportunity was correct like she did grow up to be this intellectual this prodigy that everyone talked about like it was short-lived but he was right Yeah, no, he's definitely right.
0: Um, And then nobody paid that much attention to it, I don't think, in history for quite a while.
3: Well, and see, this is an interesting point, is that we give so much more attention to her mysterious disappearance than to, like, who she was as a person. So all the work that Bird put into her, all the work that she put into her education is, like, kind of overshadowed by her mysterious shipwreck. Yeah. I mean, what else do we like expect from this society? But at the same time, it's like, oh, come on, right? <laughs> she works so hard, yeah. But yeah, I found some images that we'll put up on the Instagram too of like golden age cinema starlets like portraying Theodosia Burr and things like that as well. So they're they're interesting to look at uh, and look into if anyone's interested. Follow the Instagram and you will see them there. Yay! <laughs> Pretty pictures. <laughs> oh. One other, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it there. But um, one other cute thing that I wanted to mention, Aaron Burr carried on his person a watch that had miniature portraits of Theodosia, his wife, and also Theodosia, his child, like facing each other on the watch, and it's like the most adorable thing that he would like carry this thing around with him. Um, and we have pictures of it; it is being held in museum somewhere i'll put more details on the instagram but i'm definitely putting that one on the instagram too so stay tuned for that because it's like it's just really cute it's just it's just a really cute thing
0: (laughs) yeah no i like that
3: Mm
0: -hmm. it's a sweet memento so yeah that's theodosia and theodosia (laughs) the two
3: theodosias the two theodosias all right so do we know, or we do know what our next episode yeah, is. Yeah, next episode
0: is Lady Poisoners and the Angel of Death Phenomenon. Yes. Super light topics. Come prepared. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting stuff. Yeah, no, definitely interesting stuff. Like, I'm <laughs> hoping that each, like, there's not going to be like a super, super long episode.
3: No, we can keep it short. We can keep it light as we can. Yeah, but... Hmm. Yeah. All right. So we'll see you guys next time on the darker side of history.
1: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quincecom style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found something new and will check out the resources in the show notes to get more information. In the meantime, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so more history nerds can find me. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page at WDYKA Podcast, as well as considering helping me out with a donation or membership on Buy Me a Coffee. The link is in the show notes and on our IG link tree. Thanks so much, and see you next time on the lesser known side of history.